All right, let's turn our Bibles this morning to Colossians chapter 4. Appreciate that song. And appreciate you again for being faithful this morning. Colossians chapter 4, verse, uh, verses 12 and 13 is, of course, our theme verses for the, for the year. And I want to touch on that again this morning as we get into the Word of God and A couple of the guys reminded me that I didn't read out a poem on Friday night, and I said I was going to do it this morning, but my wife's not here, so there's no point. So pray for her. She's at, she's at home, unwell, but um, maybe next time, all right? So, but uh, Colossians chapter 4, and we read verses 12 and 13, and, and really, as Epaphras is corresponding to the church there through, through Paul and really the, the events of Colossians was Epaphras who was probably the pastor of the church. He went to seek out Paul for further instruction. There were some things that had started to creep into the church that were doctrinal in, in, in nature that he, he wanted really some, some clarification and even some advice from Paul on, on how to address. And now Paul's writing uh, as, as this letter is sent back, and, and he's relaying to the church there the desire that Epaphras had for the, the congregation, the flock over there in Colossae. And this area of Colossae was also in, really in an area with the tri-cities, and, and we read that there in, in verse 13, that he not only had a great zeal for those in Col- Colossae, but he also had a great zeal for those in Laodicea, and them in Hierapolis. And that ought to pique your attention as you think about the church in Laodicea, the, really the, the last church addressed in the seven churches in, um, of Asia Minor in the book of Revelation. And Laodicea had a, a, particular, uh, a particular thing about it. They were lukewarm. And there was a, a, a really a challenge there to those in Laodicea as well. And, and you could almost really, um, really partner some of the advice that the, the, the Lord Jesus gives to the church in Laodicea to some of the things that are mentioned here as a warning in the book of Colossae. And particularly, the, uh, Paul says through, uh, to, to the congregation here by, about, about them, about Epaphras' desire. He says, Epaphras, who was one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you. And notice he, he, here he was always laboring fervently for you in prayers. And here's his desire that you may stand perfect and complete in all of the will of God. And, and there's that concept there of the will of God again. And, and many times as, as we, um, we go about our lives, we'll probably hear messages on the will of God. And, you know, we're, we're planning again for our youth camp coming up, uh, up and typically there's probably going to be someone that will touch on the will of God when it comes to young people and, and for them to seek that out. But actually, the will of God is something that each and every one of us ought to desire for our lives. And many times when we think about the will of God, we, we tend to focus on the unknowns and some of the things that are specific to our lives that God will reveal in time. But, but so much of the will of God actually is just simply declared for us in black and white in the, in the pages of Holy Scripture. And really, when, when 
when Paul was addressing the, the church in Colossae and, and just commenting on Epaphras and his great zeal for them, he was really commenting on, on really Epaphras' desire for the church. His desire for each and every one of them and his desire for them in particular to stand perfect and complete in this very thing, the will of God. And, and you might think to this, this morning, you know, there's many things that we can speak about and we will. Today we're going to open our Bibles a little bit, so please be ready to turn to a few different scriptures today. But what was he actually talking about? What was that thing that he was meant to be standing perfect and complete in, in the will of God that's, that really is revealed? And, and, you know, firstly, I want to say that there are some things that we need to be mindful of during the time that we're living in right now. You understand that the, our lives, it, it's not a dress rehearsal. No, this is it. We only have one life. And, and we don't get another chance. We only have this time right now. And there's been many things that we've covered over the course of this year already. Uh, we've, we've opened different places in Scripture and really even our gatherings together during our, our services, both Sunday morning, Sunday night, and all the other times, is really to instruct us on how we ought to live for now, how we ought to live in our day, how God expects us to live. And, and really when it comes to it, that is the will of God, what His expectations are for you and I. It's not just this mysterious thing. It's not the secret things which the Bible declares for us belongs to the Lord our God. What does belong to us is the things that are revealed. And so often the reason why we miss actually the, 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 whole, the whole process and the whole arrival to the will of God in our lives is we're not entirely focused on how we ought to be living here and now. Those obvious things in the Word of God. And we tend to major on those things that are mysterious or the things that are unknown, but God wants us to major on the things that are known. But have you ever thought about really why? Why is it that we're supposed to, 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 to walk and, 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 and walk in the Spirit each day to try to, to stand perfect and complete in the, word of, in the will of God? Why, why that desire? And I think the answer is found really in what's going to happen next for the Christian. You know, we know in the timeline, and we've been reminded again recently of the timeline of the end times, and really for the Christian, the next thing is the rapture of the church, right? We understand that, and, and we understand that, that one day, we don't know, but there's going to be a time, and it's imminent, that we're all going to be, if you're saved, you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus, that we're all going to be called up into heaven and we're going to be in God's presence. But you know what comes right after that? What we're going to find is we're going to stand again. And so Epaphras' challenge to stand perfect, perfect and complete right now has to do with a time we're going to stand up there. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. In regard to standing perfect and complete, what Epaphras' desire and what we ought to desire for us as God's people is that we would be able to stand perfect and complete here because right, uh, one day we're going to need to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And I want, to, I want to talk a little bit about that this morning. Now, turn to Romans chapter 14, and we'll get into the message this morning. Romans chapter 14. 
And maybe you're not aware this morning that one day you will stand again. One day, even as we're challenged in the way we stand here on earth, that there's going to be a time where you're not going to be able to hide away. You're not going to be able to be lost in the crowd. You're not going to be able to hide behind someone else's faith and someone else's actions. No, we're going to stand one day. And in Romans chapter 14, the Bible declares this for us in verse 7. It says, For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. So we understand that. We understand that our belonging is in Christ. For to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. So he's saying here that both now and both later, he is Lord. Right? We agree this morning? We understand that right now, Jesus is Lord. But later on, after our time here on earth, both the dead and the living, we are the Lord's. Then he goes on and he says in verse 10, But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. He's saying, Therefore it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God, so that every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. And he's giving us a sober warning there on what our emphasis should be. He's saying, don't be a stumbling block because one day you're gonna, we're all going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. We're all going to stand in, the, in, in, that, in our place and give an account of our lives here. And notice the posture in which we're going to do that. We're all going to stand. We're all going to stand. And I want to I uh, teach you this morning and remind you perhaps that one day we will all stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And, and I don't know about you, but I don't know of a more sobering truth in the Word of God than the truth of the judgment seat of Christ. All of us are going to give an account. You know, uh, many times we can sort of be, be hidden in plain sight. You know, all of us here, we belong to a family, we belong to a groups of friends, we belong to a church. And if we're not careful, we can, we can blend all of that into our identity. And, and because someone else is doing it, we can feel like we're all doing it. But you know, the reality is that one day, there's going to come a time where you're not going to have anyone next to you. You're actually going to stand right there on your own. And the Bible's careful to tell us you're going to give an account for yourself. And that's what we call the judgment seat of Christ. And in the timeline of things, we're going to see here that for the Christian, we understand that there's no longer any future judgment in the sense of condemnation. The Bible it tells us that, that blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. We understand that, that because of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, that one day if you've accepted him at your, as your Savior, there's no longer the judgment for condemnation. That's already been taken away. Praise God. Okay, it's been paid. It's been paid in full. And so this judgment seat of Christ, it's not this idea of that, that some have espoused it to be like it's some sort of purgatory. No, it's for those believers 
There's, there's no, therefore no longer condemnation in Christ Jesus. There's no need for us to fear in, in that sense that, that one day we're going to stand there and we're going to have to answer again. Listen, the, it's, the answer is already in Christ. All right, He's already stood for you and He's already made a way for us to come in. And, and, and the Bible tells us, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. And shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. So what are we talking about then this morning? If the truth of the judgment seat of Christ is in the word of God, and we're, we're no longer to be under condemnation, then what are we speaking about here? Notice with me now 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And notice verses 9 and 10. Here's what it's speaking about. For those of us who are saved, it says, Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. You know, sometimes there's an idea that's... that's presented in Christianity that, that once you're saved, the grace of God is, is there. The grace of God then means that you can just live any way you want. And, and yes, it's true, you're, you're saved. You don't lose your salvation, praise God. You're secured, you're sealed until the day of promise, the Bible says. The Bible tells us that no man can pluck you out of the Father's hands. But you understand that, that grace isn't licensed to sin. Grace is a change agent from sin. And God gives us grace to save us from that life. And the Bible tells us that we are new creatures in Christ. That the Bible tells us that we no longer are walking after the fashion of this world. We're no longer walking the same way as the children of disobedience. No, the Bible tells us that we're now setting a new course. That we're supposed to walk in light and in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and whilst we've been saved from the law of sin and death, we are now planted in the law of liberty in Christ Jesus. That, that we now have, we're freed from the shackles of sin. Now there's a certain way that we can live. And there's, this, there's an expectation from God that we will live that way. And that there's things that God will one day, we will come and stand and appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You know, this whole idea of the judgment seat, another name for it is the Bema seat. And to those readers back in that day, they were very familiar with the concept of standing at judgment. They understood that. In fact, it was during the Olympic times, and often what would happen during those times, there would be different contests that we, we would read about now in our history books and, and all of those different contests, there would have to be a, a winner. Okay, there would have to be someone that would stand as the champion and what they would do is at the Bema seat, this wasn't a judicial seat, it, it, was, a, it was a seat that was raised up where, where the contestants would one by one stand in place where the judges sat and gave their judgment of how well they went in that contest. And they would, they would come up and they would stand there and they would say, look, you did well, I'm going to score you this and that. 
And at the end of it, at this Bema seat, they would just declare those who would pass through or declare those who would be winners of that contest. And that was the idea of the, of the, the judgment seat of Christ. They understood it. And uh, to be clear, as someone said it this way, in the large Olympic arenas, there was an elevated seat on which the judges of the contest sat. After the contests were over, the successful competitors would assemble before the Bema to receive their rewards or crowns. Okay, the Bema was not a judicial bench where someone was condemned. It was a reward seat. Likewise, the judgment seat of Christ is not a judicial bench. The Christian life is a race, and the divine umpire is watching every contestant. After the church has run her course, he will gather every member before the Bema for the purpose of examining each one and giving the proper reward to each. And I will tell you that there is great reward to gain at the judgment seat of Christ. But as we're going to learn later on as well, there's also going to be great loss. And it's not a loss of salvation, but actually a loss of reward. And, and I'll tell you why, that, why, why that's important, because we're also going to stand before our Savior, the one who, who laid His life for us, the one who shed His blood, the, the one who conquered death, the Lord of our life, the Lord of the dead and the living, and we're going to stand there. We're going to get an opportunity to cast crowns at His feet. And I don't know about you, but I think my Lord deserves all that I can give Him. I think my Lord deserves all of my life, and if I can live a life and stand in this day a certain way, so I can stand properly, perfect, and complete in that day, and I can get all the reward, then I'd like to do that for my Lord. And I hope that you're motivated by that. I hope that you're, you're not the kind of Christian who's a little bit entitled, who's a little bit just about, about themselves for this life, and that's all they can see, and they forget what's next. Yes, the rapture will come, but immediately then, we're going to have the judgment seat of Christ. And we better sober up this morning, and we better sober up in our, the way we view life and the way we view this time, because how we stand today will be the definition of how we will stand then. You see, we already understand this morning that there are things that, that in our life that we ought to, uh, we ought to be mindful of that God one day will look at and will judge and will either reward or, or they'll be lost. Look at this found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 now, and this, this, um, this teaching by Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And notice verse 11. Thanks for turning there. Look at verse 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid which is Christ Jesus. So here's a foundation, right? We, we need to have a foundation. If you're here this morning, if you're not accepted Christ as your Savior, you have no foundation. You can't build on anything. And so I want to encourage you, please Know Christ, please accept his invitation to be saved. And, but beyond that, he says, Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. So notice those different materials that, that he defines there. Every man's work shall be manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. That's the judgment. He says, If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, 
So if, if, if after the, the, the judgment, the, the fire, there's a revealing and it's there, it remains, that's the, uh, the gold, silver and precious stones, he says he shall receive a reward. But if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. And what he's saying there is there's going to be either a, a, a result of reward in your life or result of loss in your life. And not loss of your salvation, you will be saved. But you'll come into his presence empty-handed or, or minimal. And, and you, you come with all that your life has to show is that little that you've done or the much that you've done. But it's according to every man's works. You know, all of us here, we're saved unto good works. And good works doesn't save us, but we're saved unto it. We're, we're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And one day, that will be revealed. You know, I, I don't know about you, but there's probably many of you who dreaded the day where you knew your report card was going to get sent home. Because you could look the part all year. You could do all you can. You could fool mom and dad. But when that report card came home, the truth was revealed. Right? There were some of you, you used to pray for mercy that day. Because that's all you could hope for. And certainly, we have a merciful God. But listen, there's going to be a great revealing of not our, not our academic pursuits. No, there's going to be a great revealing of how we lived our lives as Christians. And that's, that's, that's the, the standing that he's speaking about, stand perfect and complete. He's speaking about the judgment seat of Christ. You know, it's this, this has to take place when all of us are gathered, when, when all of the work is done. You see, rewards can't be parceled out until our work stops and it follows us. And that's why we know that that's got to be after the, the, the rapture of the church when we're all gathered together as the saints and, and we're going to stand there one by one. And, and perhaps as the world is going through the tribulation period for those seven years, we're going to go one by one. And we're going to stand. And I don't know if God will, will read us out in alphabetical order. I don't know how he's going to do it, but I know this. Each and every one of us will give an account. Each and every one of us will stand right there. And all of our works will be tried by fire. And what will come out, it will either be gold, silver, or precious stones, or wood, hay, and stubble. And they will either be of value or, or, or of these perishable items that will go up in flames. And, and what will be determined after all that, you know, what will be determined is if we lived our life a life that praises, praises God. Does our life praise God? Does our life give off the, 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 uh, in others a sense of, of how, how good God is? Did we shine for Christ? You know, we're called to be salt and light. Did we shine for Christ? Were we good stewards? You know, all of, all of the, the, the results of that will, will lead into the next thing of the millennium. And, and then how many crowns will we have to cast at Jesus' feet, all of that, all of that will be determined on that day. And listen, we're, we're all contestants in this race if you're saved. You're all competitors of that. And there's elements of the Christian life where you're, you're competing for a prize. Notice, again, Hebrews chapter 12. And we know these verses. 
But let's, let's look at it together. Hebrews chapter 12. We no, notice how the, the, the Bible describes our life in verse 1. Again, wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, that place of honor that the Lord Jesus has, but he's saying our life is a race. We're competitors. You know, we're, we're here competing for the prize. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 9.24, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run ye that ye may obtain. He's saying there's something to gain there for you and I. There's something for us as we go about our, our daily lives. We're supposed to live with that, with that desire to stand perfect and complete because one day we will stand and we won't have anywhere to look to. We won't have anyone else. And yes, our, our entrance into glory is guaranteed, but what's not, what's not guaranteed is really how we live our lives. That's a choice that we still have to make today. In Philippians 3, verses 13 to 14, we know this, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before I press. Says so He puts all effort. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And, and you know, all of us here today, every day, every heartbeat, every breath, we're just one step closer to eternity, aren't we? And because we don't know, we're always one day closer to the rapture. And we understand that we have this life to live when we don't know how long we have. We have no guarantee. All we have is the present. All we have is today. All we have is the moment. And moment by moment, we're pressing. And Paul's desire was that he pressed toward the mark for the prize because there is a prize, because there are rewards. Because there's a reward or a loss, and we better be mindful of the moment. And, and today, I just wanted to remind you that there's a judgment seat of Christ. That, that great beamer judgment, it's not, not for those who are unsaved, it's for those who are saved. For those who put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. You know, there's a great privilege there. The Bible says that we're no longer our own, we're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in our body, which, are, which is His. And we're supposed to live a way that would be pleasing and honorable to the Lord. And as we study the Scripture here this morning, there, there are some areas, and, and this is an exhaustive, this is in summary of those areas in which we will be judged. And, and notice again, stand complete and perfect in the will of God. And so really the question is, what is the will of God? How, what are those, those things that we're so supposed to attain to, that we're supposed to press toward? And, and I want to uh, point out a couple of ones here this morning. Look at, look at Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. I don't know about you, but there's, there's times 
in my day, in my week, that, that I've just got to stop and pause. I've just got to stop and think about where, where's my life headed? How, how am I going? Because I'm going to stand one day, and I'm going to, I need to stand perfect and complete now, but I'm going to stand one day. I'm going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And notice here in, in, in chapter 22, look at verses 36 to 40. Notice a question is asked of the Lord, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. But notice what he says in verses 39 and 40. The second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang the law and the prophets. Here's the first one I want to remind you about is... is you need to know and obey God's will regarding others in your life. You notice that God surrounds us with people. You know, if you're an, you're an introvert, you try to get away from people. But there's just, there's just that we, ha- we are around people all the time. And you know, someone else in Scripture asked, who is, uh, Jesus asked them, who is your neighbor? And it was a rhetorical question. Really, he was saying it's everyone around you. And we understand there that the, the Bible tells us the first great commandment we all agree with, we should love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. But, but notice the second is like unto it. If we're going to show how we love God, we're going to have to show how we love others. You, you know, our, our behavior to, other, to each other is actually of paramount concern to God himself. You know, part of what we will do to know and obey the will of God is in regard to just the people in our lives. And firstly, I want to say, how, how do we treat, firstly, other believers? And we won't take the time, but there's several scriptures there that I've noted. Hopefully, it's in your notes. You can look at it later. But how do we treat? We're supposed to do good unto them, especially those of the household of faith. You know, in this room today, there are those that are of the household of faith. And there's a great onus for us. You know, in fact, the Bible tells us, how, how shall they know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another? And, and actually, it does matter how we treat one another and how we respond to each other. How, how, how charitable are we? How respectful are we? How, how concerned are we? And so many times we try to just stay in our little lane and we start, try to stay in our little pockets of influence. But, but there's a great onus upon us on how we are to treat one another. Is it of love? Do, do we come into this congregation with, with a sense of our responsibility that one day we're going to give an account for these relationships that we have? Say, so how do you treat how do you treat one another? That matters to God, how, how we win the lost. You know, your relationship with all us, the Bible tells us to redeem the time, for the days are evil. The, the Bible tells us that the reason why we are to redeem the time is it's toward them that are lost. You know, what's our testimony to those who are not part of the household of faith? There, there are those that you are encountering each and every day. What, what testimony, how do you treat them? How do you show the love of Christ to your neighbors, to those in your workplaces, to those in your school places, to those in your transit, to those that you just happen to bump into, to those that we just 
don't probably even have a name, don't even have a, a, any realization of how their, their lives are, and yet God gets us to a place where we're, we're, just, we're just crossing paths. What impression did we make for Christ? You know, there are those that God gave you responsibility for to win. There's people that I can never get in touch of, but there are people daily that you are in touch with. And one day, God's going to ask you what you did with the gospel and what you did to win that one. And one day, you will be responsible. You're going to hold out hands, either, either bloodied hands because of the, the blood of those that you'd never heard. And you had a responsibility. You're going to stand one day in how you treat others in your life, how, how we use even our influence and our authority over others. Listen, there's a great responsibility, those of you parents, that the, the way that you would uh, treat your children, the way that you would guide them in life, the way that you would raise them up, you will stand in account one day. And there's a great responsibility in that. That's why we ought to encourage and pray for one another in those things. That's why we ought to come in the church house and, and just like it says in Titus chapter 2, show ourselves a pattern of good works. Because we're modeling something and it's all about others. How are we going with that? Does that matter? Because it certainly matters to God. It certainly matters to Him. To, in fact, he said it, the second is like unto it. That's part of the will of God. Notice, secondly, look at Matthew chapter 25, and a bit of a longer reading here, but you probably will gather the, the parable here. Look at verse 14. So we're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ, and he's going to ask us, how did you go? How did you treat others in your life? How did you go with the relationships that I've given you? How did you go with those that you ran into? But then notice also he says here, in, in, look at verse 14, For the kingdom of heaven is as the man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods, and unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and did and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of these servants cometh and reckoneth with them. He takes account. He says, so he that had received the five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest and they're gone and they make a report. And the point of, the, of it is this, it was unexcused. Whether they had five, they had two, or the one, God expected, uh, the Lord expected a return. You know, sometimes here's what we do. We try to excuse our, our lack of involvement or lack of, of just of priority and passion. We think, oh, we don't offer as much as the others. But listen, that was never about, uh, never, it was never about that in God's sight. It's whatever you have, you're supposed to be a steward of it. Whatever you have, you're supposed to give God a return. And here's the second thing that we're going to stand for. We need to know and obey God's will for the resources He gives us. You know, each and every one of us here have different capabilities. Each and every one of us here have, have different things that God has given for us according to our several ability. He, he understands 
what will make us or break us, and He gives us what we need. And He really here, He's talking about our lives. But I want to summarize with our resources. Firstly, and you'll know these, it's just simply, firstly, our talents. What abilities that has God given you that you're supposed to use for Him and you're supposed to have an understanding that it's for His glory, it's for His, if it's, it's for his work, it's for his, his, his giving to you so that you would give a return one day. How about our time? You know, you might say to yourself, well, I don't have the talents that you have or that others have, but you know what's equal to all of us? We all have the same time each day. We might have different lengths of years of lives. We might have different priorities, but listen, every day we have 24 hours that God gives us that we're going to give an account for. And we understand that, that, that time is a precious commodity. In fact, it's the most precious. It's one that you can never get back. You know, t- tomorrow never comes. It's always the present. And, and listen, that's all you have guaranteed, but, but what of that time? What of the life that God has given you so far and by His grace and by His mercy, the time to come? How about our treasures? Those things that God gives us, those things that God allows us to gain in this life for supply and for need. Listen, the, the Bible tells us that, that, that God will, give, will ask you to give an account for all of that. And so how's your resources going? And are you a good steward of that? You know, you understand that in the end, we're not the owners of it. You know who the owner is? God is the owner. He's the one. In fact, every good gift and every perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. He, he gives us to us as a gift. But each and every one of us will give an account for all of our treasures, our times, and our talents. Notice the next one. Look at Matthew chapter 5. Look at Matthew chapter 5. And some of you, I can tell you already know this, but how are you going? How are you doing with it? Because one day, you're not going to stand before me. You're not going to give an account and ask for your, for your accountant, for a summary. Listen, you're going to stand there. And we're going to stand there. And I'm going to stand there. And I'm going to be asked. But notice the next one. Look at, look at Matthew chapter 5. And look at verse 11. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Here's the next one. You need to know and obey God's will for the suffering that he allows in your life. Here particularly he speaks about persecutions. And, you know, that's a foreign concept really to us here in the West. It's a foreign concept. You know, persecution, when you read about it historically, when you read about it currently in different parts of the world, you understand that there's still those who are suffering literally, physically for the, for the gospel of Christ. And here we are in our padded pews. It's not quite the most ergonomic, right? But, but you know, sometimes we can sort of forget that actually the, those that live in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And there's that persecution, there's the trials that we endure. God allows trials in our lives to, to sometimes wake us up. Sometimes God allows trials in our lives to teach us and, and to refine us. But we understand that's also part of suffering. We understand, thirdly, there's the rejection. You know, we're fearful of rejection. But, but sometimes the rejection is part of actually 
God's allowance in our lives for our suffering. I, I told you this before, you know, uh, I'm not a huge advocate of door knocking. I'm, I'm not good at it personally. But you know what? I, I still do it from time to time because it's good for me to be rejected. It's good for me to, to go and obey anyway. Why? Because it, it, it's needful. It's good for me to be afflicted at times. And, and then there's those ills, those things that God brings into our lives, illnesses and problems and all of those things. And sometimes even the chastening, we go through all of that in suffering. Why? Because God's trying to form in us Christ Jesus our Lord. In fact, that's the whole pattern when we follow after Christ. It was his suffering. And I know us in the West, we don't like the idea of that. We struggle with that concept, but we'll suffer for other things. We'll suffer to have a better looking body, right? We'll suffer a little loss now. Why? Because we have a future investment in mind. We'll suffer all of those things, but we won't suffer for Christ. Why? You're admitting that that's actually not real. Do you believe it's real? Do you, do you see it real? Because one day it will be reality. You will stand. And he'll ask you how you went with that, that, that suffering that he allowed into your life. He's going he's gonna, to uh, get you to stand and account. But then notice the next one. Look at 1 Corinthians 9, and we, we sort of read it earlier, but let's look at the, the, a couple more verses here. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I know I'm, I'm, it, there's, there's a few things here, but I hope that something's hitting. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, look at verse 24. We read it earlier. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receive the prize, so run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth of the masteries is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means... When I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. He's saying, you know, we're, we're, we're different in the, our competition. We're not competing with the sense of who will win. No, we're already victors. We're, we're, not, we're not fighting as those uncertainly. We're not, we're not those who we're hoping. No, no, listen, we already have that guaranteed. But what that means is that we're, we're to be knowledgeable and understanding of the victory we have in him. We're going to stand one day in account for the victory God has given us. And can I remind you that we are victors in Christ? We're not victims, we're victors. Right? We don't have to be victimized by this world. We don't have to be victimized by the flesh. We don't have to be victimized by the wrong influences that we have all around us. No, 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 we have victory in Christ. Listen, but we will stand in account one day. We're going to give an account for how we were victorious over our flesh. The, 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 the word there is to keep my body and bring it into subjection. Hey, listen, this, this flesh, we still have it. One day, we'll, this mortality will put on immortality. This corrupt will put on incorruption. That, that's a future day to come. But right now, I have to contend with this flesh that is the constant enemy. It's a constant one that I've got to I've got to mortify the deeds of the flesh. And I can't allow the lusts of the flesh 
and the pride of life and, and all of that. I've got to stand in victory. I've got to walk in the Spirit so I won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now listen, I'm going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ one day and I'm going to, get a, get, going to give account of that position of victory. You know, he's given us victory over temptation. He's, given us, he's, he's not given us any temptation wherewith there's a way of escape. And listen, God already has given us His example. The Lord Jesus who was tempted at all points yet without sin. And we're supposed to overcome in His strength and in His power. And you know, we have victory over our race. How well did you run the race? And all of that, we're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. Notice the fifth thing. Look at this, 2 Timothy 4.8. And here's a specific one. It says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day, and he says, not to me only, but to unto all them also that love his appearing. You know what that is? Here's a, here's a really, actually, when you think about it, a really easy one to win. is just knowing and obeying God's will for his future return. Are we watching? Uh, do we love his appearing? Is that something we're looking forward to or we're dreading? Is it something we're mindful of? Are we watching? Are we waiting the Bible says to occupy till he comes. All of those things God commands us has to do with, the, with loving his appearing. Our hearts ought to skip a beat with the thought that we're one day closer. It ought to be, it ought to be that we have such a disdain for the life down here that we have a great desire for the, for the, for the, for the, the life that we have up there. Set your affections on things above, the Bible says. You know, so many times we're so caught up on the here and now and the, this life and all the trappings of it that we don't live in a way that the Lord is returning soon. But we're just mindful. We ought to be mindful. We ought to be watching, waiting. We ought to be occupying. But then the last one, look, notice this. Look at Ephesians 5.17. Ephesians 5.17 and then also Second Peter Chapter 1, and we'll be done. Notice here. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. says, Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. All right, and this is really the crux of the matter, isn't it? What is the Lord's will? How, how can we stand perfect and complete in something we don't understand? He says, don't be unwise. You know, another equivalent to that word is fool. Don't be a fool. Don't be foolish and not know the will of God. And, and here's, here's what we understand. We need to know and obey God's will. And it's really found in His word. And we, we know that. The Bible tells us, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be shamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You know, the, the Bible put all of, the, the, the Lord preserved his word for us today. He, he divinely inspired it. 
and He preserved it, and He gave it to us. It says it's the way of success. The, the Bible t- declares about it, it's a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. The Bible says it's the sword of the Spirit. The Bible tells us it's a hammer that breaks the rocks to pieces. It's, the Bible says it's the fire. It's the candle of the Lord that reveals. Listen, how precious is the Word of God to you? Because you won't find His will without finding it in His Word. You won't find it without being, being in His Word daily meditating and we're supposed to study, we're supposed to meditate, but we're also meant to increase in it. Look at Second Peter. Look at Second Peter. Look at chapter 1, look at verses 4 to 8. Notice the context. Verse 4, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So we've escaped that. We've been given the precious promises. We're partakers of the divine nature. And beside this, says that's all true, then because of that, beside this, giving all diligence, that means all effort, that means all of your attention, that means all of your energy, add. says, add to your faith. Then he goes through a list. He says, add to your faith, virtue. And to virtue, knowledge. And to knowledge, temperance. And to temperance, patience. And to patience, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, charity. You know what? All of those develop one into another. And we won't take the time this morning. That's a whole series on its own. But we can look at all of those words and how each one really is a leveling up in a sense. And also uh, really a correlation of who we're supposed to be in Christ and the potential that we have in Christ. But for if these things will be in you, verse 8, and abound... They make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind. And notice, and he cannot see afar off. And they had forgotten that he was, he was purged from his old sins. He's forgotten. He doesn't understand. He doesn't see afar off. He doesn't see what's in the distance. He doesn't see that one day... Even as the saved, he's going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But he's saying, if you, if you have these things, you're not going to lack. In fact, you're going to abound. In fact, you're not going to be barren. You're not going to be unfruitful. It's the opposite. You're going to be fruitful. You're going to abound. And listen to all of those. And what he's saying is you need to increase. Hey, I wonder if we would, if we would just examine where we're at with the Word of God. Is it something that we, we've read through? Have you read every verse? Have you just at least just ambition to read every word of God? Is it something that you daily study and meditate upon? Or is it just something that you would just occasionally and casually and even sometimes weekly on a Sunday and maybe just a Sunday morning at best? And that's it. You know, we have the word of God. We have the scriptures and by it, you're going to find God's will. And you're going to be unwise if you don't understand what the will of the Lord is. And we're supposed to be in the Word. 
And we're going to stand one day and he's going to ask you what your attitude and what your, what your, what your, your relationship and what you did with the word of God. You're going to stand and that's going to be your judge. And we better be, take great care. You know, there's another one and really this is specifically to pastors and we ought to be faithful. The Bible says that we, myself and others similarly this morning in different parts of Australia and later on in different parts of the world, earlier on in New Zealand already, right? They're all pastors. But what God's calling to us, he says them that obey them that have rule over you for they watch for your souls. Listen, I'm going to stand in account one day for how I watch for your souls. You know, I'm going to give an account of how you were as part of this flock and what I did about it and how I fed you the word of God, how faithfully I did that. And I'll tell you, I'll take that very seriously. I'm going to stand account, and no one else, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm, I can't look around and I can't, I can't look at, you know, I can't look to my wife and I'm, I'm not, I can't go, you know, it was the woman that thou gavest. <laughs> I can't do that. I'm going to stand there. But I'm telling you, you're going to stand there. You'll stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And you're going to give an account. Now, I, have, I give an account for you. I'm going to give an account for my, my family. I'm going to give an account for my influence. I'm going to give an account for my time, my talent, my treasure. And there's a great burden there. And there ought to be a great soberness each day. Because the desire is that you would stand perfect and complete, not just now. You ought to do it now because one day you will stand. And it'll count then. And it'll be seen then. It'll be revealed. And, and we can pretend all we want. And we can fool everyone else, but you can't fool God. And it'll be revealed one day. Now, I don't know about you. I want to stand there and, and I want to see. And I, I, pray, I pray and ask God, Lord, Help me. Just search my heart. Search me. Lord, I don't want to assume. Lord, I, I, I don't want to just walk and, and just live the day and, and just sort of just, no, Lord, give me, give me wisdom. Help me know. Help me understand your will. And I hope that you would desire that too. I, I hope that, that that would motivate you each day to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for the time, and thank you for your word. Thank you, dear God, that you don't leave us clueless about how we ought to stand, about how we ought to live, and even, Lord, about the, the consequences of all of that. Lord, you, you lay it out, and you give it to us, Lord, in black and white. You give it to us, Lord, in, in the means of which we can understand. And Lord, I'm thankful for your precious words. I'm thankful, dear God, that we have this life. But Lord, help us, Lord, be impressed upon our hearts. Lord, just the, just the fact that one day we will stand. And we will stand before you, dear God, and give an account of our lives. So I pray, dear Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to just bring some things before you this morning. Help us, Lord, to, to get our hearts realigned to the truth that one day 
we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I pray that you'd help us, dear Lord, to just acknowledge, Lord God, that you are Lord of our lives. And that, Father, you, get, you have the right to direct us, to show us, Lord, to, to expect of us a, a manner in which we ought to live. So I pray that you'd help each and every one of us this morning, Lord, just to, to come before you with, with seriousness and soberness. Say, Lord, examine my life. Lord, help me today to have a, a greater heart to live for you, a greater means of which each day I would seek you out. Lord, help me to understand your will. And help me, Lord, to one day be able to stand. And each day to stand perfect and complete for you. Heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around.